Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. And I'm Johnny Hart. And this is Parkour, They Said. Johnny Hart has studied fine arts at New York. Wait, what does it say? New- Los- he teaches for Los Angeles, but he went to school in New York. I went to both. I'm so confused. Okay, <laughs> wait. He's from Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and then he went to school. At the LA in, Academy of Figurative Art. And then, and then went to, to New, New York, York and then went to an outside class called Fit Strong. Strong, Get strong. Get strong, right. And met Jesse Danger. This is so complicated. All right, let's try this again. This is Johnny Hart, and he's, oh, you know what? I don't, it doesn't matter. He uses parkour to teach art to kids. He uses art anatomy to teach parkour to kids. It's really complicated. We'll try and untie some of it. So tell me the story. You're at school at NYU, and you go to? Uh, well, I didn't go to NYU. Lest I'm sorry. I keep that saying I'm a little smarter than I am. <laughs> We're leaving that in. <laughs> I went I went to art school, so <laughs> it's about 27 notches down the letter from, from yes, NYU. Yes, but it's still a master's of fine art. I yes. do have, yeah, yeah, I do have a piece of paper that calls me a master. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm in art school in New York, and I'm back home visiting uh, family in Los Angeles when a friend of mine sends me the first Tempest video on YouTube. And I realized it was about a mile away from my mom's house. Hmm. So I ran down there, uh, took the class, stayed for open gym, and then just went back every night for the rest of the trip. Went back to New York and just had this, like, it was like an alcoholic drying out. You know, I was just not about to go a day without doing this. <laughs> Where's the gym? So, yeah, well, so of course I'm out just exploring every park. And, you know, there's not too many sightings in the wild of of tresors, So... You know, I've got my eye open. I'm looking for anybody. Somebody even like pushes the crosswalk differently. I'm like, is he training? What's he doing? I'm, like, okay. <laughs> I'm just looking for anything, someone. And uh, when that didn't work, you know, I couldn't just just roam the wilds of New York hoping to just stumble across somebody. So I started doing some searching online, and I found uh, a community session called Get Strong, okay, which is like conditioning for parkour, right? And that's run by Jesse Danger, right? And the group is Name Drop. Uh, the movement creative. Okie dokie. So that, that, I always wondered, how did these two guys know each other? That explains that. So you went to every one of those courses, I'm going to guess, every class. Oh, man. Yeah, I went there and just found a bunch of savages. <laughs> I was like, this is my world. This is. It felt like Fight Club. It felt like, like at night, I'm in there with these people that are doing just dangerous things that really aren't actually dangerous. But you know what I mean? Like that feeling of living dangerously. Like, oh, I'm, I'm not doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. I'm right. climbing up on this thing. I'm jumping off or whatever. But then it was also, it's not like beautiful, sunny Los Angeles. There was snow and rain and all kinds of other oh, stuff God, going on. Right. And <laughs> these guys are out there Broken doing fortune it. Fortune cookies, right? I'm seeing people throwing up. You know, I mean, it was just, it was intense. And I was like, this is, this is it. This is the parkour scene in New York. Yes, I I have caught glimpses of it. Yeah, Um, there was no cushy trampolines or spring floor or any of that stuff. It was all pretty gritty and, and I was in love with it. I made the greatest group of friends I could, I have ever known here in New York from training. And that is actually the only common thread is that we train. Other than that, our lives couldn't be more disparate. And that's in stark contrast to everything uh, that I had known before that, where my friend groups were based around art or music or whatever. We were all living pretty similar lives. Right. And that group, that uh, community, even if it's not like a living, living in the same place type of community, but that community of people seems to me that 
you you meet artists, you're doing similar things, but some people you just don't like. You're just like, <laughs> I do not like this person. And the parkour community, I don't know what, I'm curious, but your experience has been, my experience is the exact opposite of that uh, in all of, and in not just the parkour specifically named communities, but in anything that you would even classify vaguely as parkour, those people are very different from that community. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, that's and, and it's not specific to any specific um it's not specific to any one city. That is definitely the community at large. So you can go to San Antonio, Texas. You can go to Beaverton, Oregon, or wherever you want to go, and you're going to find a similar type of person to the one that you've been training with, to the type of um, person that you've connected with in your community, whatever it is. And I haven't traveled abroad to do parkour, so I can't speak to the global community outside of what I know from videos and, and Facebook and stuff. But it appears to be that it's very much a global Right, and, you, and the people that you meet, you um, you might not become best friends with them. Um, you might not click, you know, where you're, oh, wow, three hours have elapsed and we're still in the corner talking. It, it might not meet all the people like that, but you find that when it doesn't click, it's the two of you were trying. It was like, oh, we didn't really have a ton to talk about, but I really kind of <laughs> like that person, even though I didn't really click with them. And, you know, the, those little, uh, what was it from Fight Club, single-serving size friends on airplanes, <laughs> yes. which I love. So the single-serving size friends, even single-serving size parkour friends, they're actually a really, it's a pretty good friend friendship even for 30 seconds and you forget their name two minutes later yeah i'll even take it one step further even a lot of times those people who you're not connecting with on a, a conversational level you start moving together though mm. and you find a very deep connection all of a sudden you find oh they look at things similar to the way i look at things or i love the way they look at things it's nothing like the way i look at things right and now you're moving in their world or they're moving in yours or whatever it is but you found this this other way to connect with somebody yeah, that you would never know if language. you just worked with them or right. you know, whatever the case may be. So that brings me to an interesting question, which is um, Johnny Hart is an artist. So I started talking to him and I met him and I met him a couple times and I'm like, oh, this guy's a painter, like with a capital P. I mean, if you haven't seen his work, I'll link some of the stuff off the show notes, like a painter for realsies. <laughs> so I, I'm thinking, well, this guy went to school for years and he has this skill set and, and we're going to talk about anatomy. This guy has a skill set with drawing and anatomy and does he look at his parkour differently? Like, is there a cross between the art skill set and the parkour skill set? Or do you find that you really separate these two parts of your lives? And if you do separate them, why? I do tend to separate them, yes. People ask me all the time why I'm not painting um, like action poses of my friends jumping. The body you know, in mid, space, mid right? Mid-backflip back or whatever it may be. And the truth is I couldn't be less interested in doing something like that. And the reason why is because in school, I watched the progression of going from doing art purely because I loved it. I just did it to, to escape into my own world because it was just, it was the most fun I could imagine having to having to do it because it's a grind now. You've chosen to do this for a living. You show up every day, you put in the work and you do it when it's not fun, when it's not inspiring. Sure. And uh, I was, I needed something else after a day of being in the studio to unwind because it, it wasn't drawing anymore. I didn't want to come home and do more drawing or painting. And I don't like wasting time, so I wasn't going to come home and play video games or uh, drown myself in, you know, comic books or anime or whatever. Not that I'm putting any of those things down. It just, for me, it felt like, I don't know, I'm a very obsessive person. I go all in when I get into something. So if I go down one of those rabbit holes, that's going to be most of my life. I'm going to be playing Call of Duty okay. 18 hours a day or something. <laughs> I have no interest in doing don't that. Don't do that. <laughs> so... Um, 
So I you're found, you're looking at parkour like this is something precious that you found and you, you're oh my God, loving yes, it. That and I, I do not want to mess this up by having it turn into my workaday life. So yes. here, here in, in New York City and in Brooklyn, I know that you're teaching for the Movement Creative. And I'll talk about the class in a minute. But you teach for them, but you don't have aspirations or do you have aspirations of teaching and making a living off that? Is that like bread and butter? Or? I do not. No, I do it because I love it. Um, I have another job, a survival job that I do just in a restaurant to make ends me but for coaching i just do it because i love it and i only coach classes that i love coaching and i leave there feeling awesome all those kids are like my little brothers and sisters like when i leave my battery's recharged i'm not drained at all ah okay so i love the fact that i don't have to do it for a living that mm -hmm. i do it just because i love it and it keeps it fresh and exciting for me and i'm sure for the kids as well and uh i still have this art thing that i do you know as well uh, I may go into academia or something at some point, but for now I'm also painting and drawing on the side. I teach art as well, and I'm even starting to come up with classes now that combine the two where I'm teaching drawing and anatomy and movement all at the same time. So I read about that course, and, and I was like, I'm reading, I'm reading, and I'm like, wait, what did that say? Did that just say what I think it said? So the core, you know what, in fact, you tell the story. So you're you're sitting in a meeting and <laughs> Jesse is pitching to a school and they're like, hey, we want to come in and we want to teach and here's how we run our programs. Yeah, and they're, they're listening to these ideas and I'm just seeing the stone face of the lady on the other side of the desk and she's a very tough nut to crack and she's trying to explain to us all the reasons why these classes won't flourish. Yeah, she's just watching the pitches. School. Nope, nope, nope. Exactly. Nope. Not swinging, not swinging. <laughs> and Jesse and I had talked about how cool it would be to do this this class that would involve drawing and, um, and anatomy in a parkour setting. <laughs> I immediately picture people running with scissors and running with pencils. <laughs> this is going to work well. All right. <laughs> it's got to be better than that. Uh, it couldn't be worse than that. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so <clears throat> threw it out there in the meeting and she bit. She was like, hmm, okay, write up a proposal. Let's let's see what this looks like. So I went home and kind of freaked out for a minute and I was like, okay, no, no, we can do this. Right, so we're going to teach kids. They loved it. We're going to teach them how to, what are we, sketching, coloring, sketching? Just sketching. Sketching. We're going to teach them sketching and anatomy. And at the same time, we're going to teach them parkour. Yes. Okay, so how, just give me a quick, how does this work? <laughs> so generally, I'll give them a little bit of an anatomy lesson at the beginning with a little bit of demonstration up in the front where I'm talking about, uh, you know, we don't get into uh, Latin names for muscles or anything like that, but I will talk about masses, um, like a rib cage, a head, a pelvis, things like that. Um, the two types of opposing muscles, flexors and extensors, mm -hmm. supinators, pronators, things like that. And then kind of how to put that into play for yourself. So what keeps you balanced? How do we jump? Where's our center of gravity? What's safe for rolling? You know, things like that, that I think I wish I had known when I was a kid. I wish somebody had explained to me a little bit about my body. I think we're all mildly freaked out about things that we should never be freaked out about when we're kids because yeah, we just not don't come know. With a manual. <laughs> not that manual would read the manual, but this didn't come with a manual. I remember grabbing my Achilles tendon and thinking it was a bone back there when I was a kid. I just didn't know, you know? <laughs> just no clue. Can I run faster if I could? So, <laughs> so I like teaching them a little bit that I feel is going to be helpful for them and actually understand their movement practice better as well. So hopefully that they become their own teachers. They're able to ask better questions, leading questions of themselves and explore that with the information that they get from this class. Wow. Okay. So, so now we have 
the instructor of the course, who's, uh, we didn't mention this, but he's got many years of like, how long was the course where you dissected cadavers in Philadelphia? <laughs> <laughs> like, the, like, I'm not making that up. So you have extensive anatomical knowledge from both the aesthetic, like slash analysis, you know, look at the painting, that's a well-drawn figure, but also extensive analysis from like what, you know, the, this bone's connected to that bone kind of thing. So you're standing in front of these kids, you're distilling out of, you know, thousands of years of physiological knowledge. You're distilling out one simple, relatively simple thread. You present this to them. You, I'm assuming, point to it, you know, like here it is on me and it makes my leg do this. Yes. And then you give them the scissors and tell them to run. <laughs> <laughs> then I will introduce some sort of game that's going to force some sort of new type of movement or movement challenge and try to divide the class in half so that half are spectators to this game and half are participating in this game. And the half of the class that's spectating is now going to try to draw what I've oh. explained in the anatomical lesson uh, so that nobody's bored. Everybody's doing something, and we have models, and we have artists. We have artists. So we have eight kids who are doing some crazy stay-under-this-lowering-roof Mission Impossible game, and the other kids on the side are looking for where the three center of masses, or how yes. are these people building stable triangles even though their masses aren't stacked. And exactly. Spectacular. I have never heard or seen anything like that, and the description that I read of the course doesn't give any of that away either. It's <laughs> like, what? But that's brilliant. I mean, that's to me, that's... That's the kind of thing when you take two completely different skill sets, you know, painting with a capital P, and mix that with movement. And then people go, well, how do you even connect those two dots? Well, there you go. I mean, these are, when you connect them, I think your parkour practice would then be much more deeply informed. That just your personal, like Johnny's yes. classes, yes. Johnny's personal <clears throat> practice is much more deeply informed. Is at one level you take it all apart. You're thinking, where's my head? Where's my torso? What's my pelvis doing? And then, and then you put it all back together and integrate it. Yeah. And drawing alone, I think, is, is a really neglected form of communication that is super vital. Like in this class, we're not worried about making pretty drawings in any way, shape, or form. We're just drawing for understanding. In the same way that an architect can draw out a building, their passion isn't drawing. They don't sit at home practicing, you know, drawing from a model or anything. But they can convey an idea accurately. The same person that came up with an iPhone, I'm sure they had to draw it first, or they contracted someone that could think visually. I think it benefits us all to understand visually what we see. And we can translate it into some sort of communicable symbol on a piece of paper. It doesn't have to be your main passion, but I think it will inform just the way you look at the world, the way you think about things. I think it's really important for kids. In parkour, uh, we all talk about uh, fear as a thing that we work. Uh, we try to make it an ally, try to use it. And some people talk about the the, the phrases breaking the jump. Um, and a lot of people who, who maybe don't do parkour, who might listen to the podcast, wouldn't that be great? Um, those people might have no understanding at all about the fear or this breaking the jump idea. So, you know, we, we stand at the edge of a bridge and, you know, it may or may not scare us because I'm thinking I could actually do a turn vault here and it's a long way down. And then that suddenly scares me. Somebody who would never climb on a railing in any context isn't the least bit scared. So it seems to me that this whole idea of fear and how you try to break jumps is something that you don't even realize that that is there until you begin doing parkour. So my question is, is there a similar type of fear or the need to break challenges maybe inside the artistic creative process? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so people look at what you do when you've got, 
you know, 10,000 hours of work into it. And they go like, yeah, oh, well, you must calories. just sit down and make, you know, just do that stuff fairly effortlessly. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is every new painting, I specifically pick essentially a jump to break. I, I specifically make sure that it's engineered, that there's something in there that I have no idea how to do it. Mm. And none of my skill set has prepared me for it. And you, you get started and then eventually you kind of work around the challenge a little bit. And then eventually you're like, okay, we got to do this we now. Do this, right? And you may fail miserably. It may, it may be a painting that you leave out on the sidewalk, which I've done before. <laughs> After working on it for a full month. Let me know where it is the next time I'll pick it up. <laughs> it was gone in 20 minutes. Because I, I regretted it. I thought about it about 30 minutes later. I went, huh. I peeked out the window. I'm like, yeah, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> and then I did it again and again. It's, yeah, it's, I don't learn from my mistakes very well. But um, yeah, you may fail miserably or you're going to break through it. You're going to learn something new about yourself and you're going to develop a new skill out of necessity that you didn't have at the beginning of the painting. So that's what keeps me excited about making paintings is because I couldn't just do the same thing over and over again. Um, I have to manufacture some sort of did you potential have, failure um, in there. Well, let's, call that, uh, let's call that a drive. Did you have that drive before you started doing parkour or do you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like I've lived with the spirit of parkour before I ever knew that that was a thing. Well, that's interesting because it, it, people come to parkour <clears throat> from different walks of life and different experiences and different things call to them. And I don't think I've ever had anyone say that the breaking the jump part of parkour, which scares people to death when you first start doing this, you're like, seriously, you want me to do what? I've never had someone say that was the part. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> Dear diary, today someone said breaking. I mean, I, I've seen lots of different aspects, and everybody who does parkour for a length of time eventually comes to understand what we mean about breaking the jump, and they they understand why we do it and why it's valuable. But I've never had somebody say, "Oh yeah, I found that over here in painting." You know, <laughs> I'm not I'm not laughing at it. That's awesome. That's yeah. Great. Well, I've sought that out in every other. You know, before parkour, I was deep into kickboxing. Um, and it was the same thing. That yeah, seriously. I was of, like, how do I write the biography for this? I was like, um, do we skip the part where he was hustling in Scotland? Yeah, let's skip that part. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so many stories. But yeah, yeah. Uh, kickboxing, I started when I was really young. I was super drawn to it because I was terrified of, of fighting. Being kicked in the head? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, just the fighting in general. You know, I got bullied a lot in school. Uh, just unfortunate. I don't know that I was necessarily a target over anybody else, but just maybe quiet or nicer than some people, you know, so mm -hmm. I'd let people do whatever. But uh, so I was terrified of fighting. I didn't do anything back to people that were bullying me because I was like, oh, I don't know what happens if you get in a fight. You know, it was just this fear of the unknown. And then so I was like, screw that. I'm just going to go take some martial arts and see what happens. Let's go do it in a <laughs> safe way. someone to kick me in the head, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like exactly my life plan right there. Yes. <laughs> So I went in and I started doing that kind of stuff and, and it scares scares the living shit out of you, you know, to get into a fight with another person. You never know what they're capable of, whatever. But I like doing it with no anger involved. It yes. was just a, I don't know what you're going to do to me. I don't know what you're bringing to the table There's here, but let's find this out. There's a right there between parkour where if you're emotional about, you know, the jump, and it, it, for those of you who don't do parkour, we're not necessarily talking about literally jumping, but whatever the thing is you're trying to do, we call it a jump. 
the the moment where you're trying to should I do it should I not do it and you get terrified and emotional that might be the lesson right there to just realize it terrifies you and you're emotional and then walk away so to be able to find that same that's a common thread to say in in your in your yeah. what the martial arts that you did in that martial arts thread you were interested in you know the obstacle is what's this dark spot in the corner over here I don't know what's going on let's go over there in the corner yeah so that, yeah, that's yeah. a great way a great parallel there too so yeah I think you were pretty much destined to be into parkour <laughs> I don't think you had a choice I think so the you moment I you met these artist, people. No. Okay, um, uh, and, and we're kind of hinting at there's a bunch of stories, so I'm going to do this now. So we like to ask everybody, uh, is there any particular story you would like to share? So everybody has stories, and there are millions of stories out there. The parkour world is full of spectacular, literally spectacle things. Um, but I'm interested in finding things that people are passionate about because the people who don't do parkour don't understand even the mindset that we're coming from. So if there's a story that you would like to share about parkour, about hustling in Scotland or whatever. <laughs> I would love to hear it. Uh, we could definitely talk about hustling in Scotland because those are some interesting stories too. But I feel like we, we've got to talk about um, breaking jumps since that's kind of what led us here. Um, and of course, the first one will always be the most memorable. So when you first start training, you think you're breaking jumps, right? Because you're... Uh, you know, whatever, a foot off the ground and you're jumping four feet out. You know, I'm scared. Go, yeah, I'm scared. I'm you're terrified. You're pushing terrified. Me, right? <laughs> but it doesn't compare to the first time that you really break a jump. <clears throat> and what I mean is one where there is a degree of uncertainty and something could go terribly wrong. So I was at a, a, a birthday jam for a friend of ours and we were all kind of just moving through the city here in New York from spot to spot, just one of those training sessions where you're just looking for stuff along the way. And three of us broke off to go use the bathroom in this this one park. And that turned into a session, of course, you know, on the bathroom. And then we ended up up on the roof <laughs> and there was a jump across uh, essentially like an entrance gate and it had wrought iron. Um, Nasty miss. Yes, <laughs> on either side. So you had to jump up and over these kind of wrought iron spikes and then clear them to get to the other side. And there was just like a stone pillar that was, uh, I don't know, two feet squared or something. Oh. It was a very small landing <laughs> spot. And it was a good eight feet up in the air, maybe nine feet up in the air. And I had never done anything like that before. You know, I was I was still very, very new. Um, but I was with a friend of mine who I trusted a lot. I trained with him a lot. And he's not one of those macho dudes that wants to just push you to, you know, do bigger and better stuff, but he felt like I could do it. And he was like, hey man, do this jump with me. And that's all I need to hear. I'm like, oh, you're going to do this jump? All right, I can do this jump. So now I'm standing there looking at it. He's looking at it. He goes for it first. And then I'm standing up in the spot and I'm looking and I'm just immediately imagining all the things that could go wrong. And at this point, we had been training for so long in the park that there was all the parents and the kids and everybody had been watching us. So now I have a full captive audience and they're staring up at me. And I'm like, well, I can't, I can't not do the jump now, right? Like, <laughs> Maybe if they moved closer, they would be a crash mat or something went wrong. One I kind of was thinking about that too, but in the worst case scenario where I'm like, now imagine I missed a jump and I land on like a five-year-old kid. This is actually the worst day of my life. <laughs> and I've got a hundred witnesses on top of that. <laughs> It almost doesn't get any worse, right? So 
I'm staring there looking at this jump, and then all of a sudden, these two gung-ho cops come peeling across the lawn of the park in the car with the lights on and everything, like as if I'm some <laughs> kind of legitimate criminal. Yeah. And they come to a skidding halt right in front of me. They jump out, and they get down from there. And I'm like, well, there's only one day, one way down. I've got to make this jump right now. <laughs> so <laughs> dodging bullets. <laughs> So I do the jump and I completely black out in the air. That's the craziest part was I don't remember anything until the landing. Like I just, I had this moment where it was just 100% autopilot. I make the jump. I hit the other side. I take the drop. I'm like, let's go. The whole crowd is cheering for me. All the parents and the kids, everybody, yeah. And I'm looking at the cops like, you can't seriously be mad about this. Look at this. These people love me. So, <laughs> uh, and then they start trying to find out what I'm doing, why I was up there, and everything. And I'm, I'm just grinning from ear to ear like a total maniac. You know, I'm barely even paying attention to them. I'm like, yeah, man, did you see what I just did? That's what I was up there for. I went up there to do that jump, and they're trying to figure out if I was trying to like break into the bathroom or you know, I don't know what they think I'm trying to do <laughs> from the roof, right, the, with the door over open. there. <laughs> Yeah, the questions made no sense to me, and I must have looked like I was high on something because I'm just well, I'm in full point, yeah. ecstasy. You know, right. I'm just like I so bummed I have to share this moment with these two cops right now, rather than my buddies, <laughs> you know, but or my the cheering crowd of parents who are absolutely in in awe over what just happened. So whatever, we talked to the cops. They realized that I'm just a totally harmless, crazy weirdo. individual. Yeah. Right? And they let me go, and that hide lasted for two or three days. I came home, I couldn't shut up about it. I'm talking to my girlfriend, I'm calling my mom, I'm just I'm telling anybody that doesn't care. <laughs> They've got to know, I'm posting on Facebook about it. It was, it was absurd, but I had never felt more alive in my life. And that's really saying something, because I've, I've been, I was in a coma for a week. You want to talk about feeling like you're alive. When you wake come, up. Come out of a coma, you feel pretty alive. This dwarfed that. I felt... <laughs> I was like, this is the meaning of life right here is to have these moments. So what are you working on uh, other than the class that you're teaching? And, and obviously it, it's gorgeous today. It's 80 in the middle of February. And and we're like, people want to go out and run. But aside from the obvious things you'd be working on, you have a big painting project, a commission, or you're trying to figure out how to move to Idaho and I don't know. <laughs> Well, one thing that I should at least just mention, I feel bad that we've gone this whole podcast without ever talking about it, is I do work for Move Magazine, uh, which is a parkour magazine. I'm the editor-in-chief right, 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 at right. Move. Uh, so that that is a big project that we work on quite a bit. So what's your what's your role there? Are you writing? Or are you you're not painting for them? I'm the editor-in-chief. But yeah, 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 that's on the door. But like, what what do you yeah. actually do? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, the boring part is all the proofreading stuff, you okay. know, like uh, uh, pulling pulling slightly better stories out of first drafts, things mm-hmm. like that. I do also write. Uh, I've got a handful of articles out there, and I've also done illustrations too for other people's stories. So oh, terrific! A little bit of any anything that I like to do, so I can do. You know, it's a very open forum there. Yeah, and I've I've heard of the project. Um, have you? Um, so do you see that as a, a side project, or is that something that you really see like this is a lot of potential, and I really think we could do this and this and this, and you're just sort of hamstrung for resources um, or, or is it both. it's both certainly both yeah <laughs> oh well I try because uh, my life is a series of side projects I never have a main project I have too many projects to consider one the main you know so it, it's just another project unfortunately the real dilemma in parkour is that almost no one makes a living from parkour we have a weird subculture that is a little bit resistant towards monetization mm-hmm. there's a lot of judgment when that comes in uh, largely because it hasn't been handled super well 
um, by the the few groups that have made it to a larger scale. So we've had some bad examples, but I don't think that that needs to happen at all. You know, you look at what's going on in climbing right now, and it's amazing. Well, then there, there are plenty it's, of good examples we can find in the parkour community. You can look at how how they do it in France. People like that's their full time job is to run parkour gyms and teach, and yes, it's a completely yes. legitimate profession. Yes, and exactly, there are people here in the United States. Um, who say things uh, about, you know, the tide is rising. People now, you can say the P word and the average citizen 50-50 chance they know what you're talking about yeah, now, which exactly. is like, oh, this is so much easier. You know, and they're, exactly. they're beginning to understand that, oh, it's a physical thing to them. It's not very uh, much of a deep thought, but they recognize it as a thing. So as soon as we know it's a thing, well, then of course you get paid for it because it's a thing. How do you live? Yes. So yeah, I think we're we're beginning to see maybe the United States catching up with the rest of the world in that sense. It would be a wonderful thing to see that happen because you look at almost any of those other subcultures like surfing or skateboarding or climbing, and it's fairly accessible to the average person. Most people will pick up, a, well, of that age, you know, the average 15-year-old could pick up a trans world skateboarding magazine and be pretty excited reading it, whether or not they're into skateboarding. It just looks, it's a peer into an exciting world um, that... Parkour has, up till this point, been so fringe that most people don't know, maybe, that there's a lot of things they'd love to hear people talk about. This podcast is one of them. You know, I think this is broadly uh, appealing to a lot of people, whether or not they train. <clears throat> I think the same could be said of a lifestyle magazine. So what do you see as, um, since we're talking about the magazine now, what, what do you see as, like, an immediate need? Like, you know, oh, if I had a dream, it would be that everybody listening went out and... <laughs> submitted something or took a picture and sent it in or volunteered yeah, to- for sure start with submitting because that was that was one of my main visions for it was that it gives a voice to everyone you know up until now we have sort of facebook is the voice unless you have the yeah exactly you're making a face like good lord save me and that's exactly the face that i make facebook is like a party that i, I don't it, even want to be at and i keep wandering back in from the backyard and going why what is doing yeah. here i call it book face i hate being on book face yeah but i, I do my best to keep up but so I, I'm that's falling a behind. terrible form to give everyone a voice and then the video thing is is fairly inaccessible to a lot of people because you got to have the equipment you got to know how to edit you've got to be out Probably, you know, in my opinion, ruining your training sessions to make videos. I hate. Yeah, hate yeah. Or you have to go out and say, oh, "We're going out. We're going to videotape." Everybody's like, "No, I don't want to go." I mean, but yeah. you know, you have to go out and do that on purpose. All right. Last and final question that I always end with, which is uh, three words to describe your practice. Oh, well, the first two that come to mind immediately are grateful and enthusiastic. Uh, the third one. The third one eludes me. I, <laughs> um, man, and two is a comparison, three is a theme. I really do need a third one to make this work. So I'm going to go with, uh, it would have to be grateful, enthusiastic, and caffeinated. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> I think you're the first honest person who actually owned up to the drug of choice. It seems to be caffeine. I'm like, yeah, caffeine. One hundred percent. It's all about the caffeine. I've been drinking coffee nonstop throughout this podcast. Great, because the next thing I say is, could you unpack those words a little bit? So we'll just say the caffeine is the coffee cup that he's been. He actually got up and filled it while we were unpacking. <laughs> he walked away and got the coffee. It's true. All right. So the first two words were grateful and enthusiastic. All right, and why? Why were those two words? Oh man, I'm grateful every day that I wake up and I get to move. I already was grateful because I feel like I came to parkour a little bit later in life. Uh, I started training when I was 31. And obviously, <laughs> later, the, later than life, 
later in life than most of the people that I train with. I see you, you, he, you bumped his head on the <laughs> microphone in total dismay <laughs> because Craig came to parkour probably 10 years later than I did. Um, I just say later than life, later in life than like your top level athlete, right? right? So you get in and you immediately compare yourself to the top 1% as everybody does, no matter how unrealistic it is. Right. And you go, oh, okay, well, I'll never do that. I'll never be that guy. <laughs> or coffee. <laughs> and, but rather than depress me, it just makes me more grateful that it wasn't too late, you know, that I wasn't perhaps missing a foot from diabetes, you know, or sure. on, on some sort of emphysema breathing machine. Anything and, could happen. Life takes crazy turns. And late enough to realize that, yeah, I'm not going to be that high-level professional person, so I'm not going to yep. spend any time killing myself, literally, yep. to try and get to that level. I'm going to take it and see how far does this body go. Exactly, yeah. And I'm grateful for what my body gives me every day. And I do make very high demands on my body because I want to maximize the time that I do have left you know, we all know you hit a peak at a certain point. And I think, you know, I've probably peaked if I'm not right at the peak right now. And then it's about maintenance, you know, whatever you can do. And the so second I'm, word? Uh, was uh, 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 enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're your words. Okay, enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Um, man, I just was lucky enough to stumble across this thing that gets me as excited as anything else anybody can be excited about on this planet. You know, you look at, I even look at Dream, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Here's something that they made a whole documentary about this guy. He devotes every waking moment. And I still think I'm more enthusiastic about parkour than he is about sushi. And that's, you know, a lot of people can go their whole lives without finding that thing. They may not ever find that driving force. But for me, um, you know, we had lunch earlier today and I was talking about how for a long time during for sure the first year of my training, every training session ended, well, I didn't stop till the sun went down and the little ritual was to sit down and watch the sunset and kind of reflect on my day. And every single one without exception, I thought, this is the best day of my life. And that is really saying something because as much as I love art, as much as I've been pursuing that for as far back as I have memories in life, I've never stopped at the end of a day of drawing and thought, this is the best day of my life. And so I found this thing that, that gives me that consistently. It may not be every time now because nothing's perfect. It's been, you know, going on four years now. There are those days where you just, you had a good day. It wasn't necessarily the best day of your life, but man, there's a good chance it is going to be the best day of my life. And how can you not just be at the highest level of enthusiasm possible when you're having the, the, peak, the peak of your lifetime right there in that moment? Well, thank you very much. That's an excellent insight to end on right there. So this was uh, Johnny Hart, and it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, thank you. And of course, there's a website. Visit parkour.theysaid.world for this episode's notes and transcript. The site also has writing from people around the world, and everything is available in a dozen languages. Start with the About page, which has our contact form, details about Twitter, Facebook, volunteering, sponsorship opportunities, and more. Mm-hmm.